How many of you have ever played the game Name That Tune? You ever played that game? My wife, uh, she is just amazing at this. You put her into the context of 80s pop rock. That's, that's the content, and she just can name it after two notes of every song. It's crazy to, it's great when she's on your team. It's infuriating when she's not on your team when you're playing Name That Tune. But uh, today, I would love to play Name That Tune with you, but we can't because of licensing restrictions to the song that I want you to guess. We like you guys who are watching online with us, and we'd hate to see all of a sudden the stream go down because of copyright right issues. So we're going to change it up a little bit, and I'd love if for, uh, for you, where, wherever you're watching, uh, whether you're online or in person here, to play along to guess the song from these lyrics. It's a terrible name, I know, and we didn't come up with like a catchy jingle to go with that, uh, but I would love it if you were to play guess the song from just me giving you the lyrics. I'm going to read the text of the lyrics to you, and here's how you play if you're in person with us, once you know the name of the song, just raise your hand. Don't shout out the answer. Don't say what it is. Just raise your hand. And if you're watching online, what I would love for you to do is give us an emoji. Uh, maybe it's the thumbs up or maybe it's the, the hands up like this. Or you might need to log in for that in order to do that. Or just simply typing in chat. I know it. I know that song. But don't give away the title of the song. We're going to all do that together at the end. Are you ready to play? Okay, let me try that again. Are you ready to play? All right. I am excited to play this game with you. Here we go. It is name the song from this lyric. Here we go. When I was younger, so much younger than today, I never needed anybody's help in any way. But now these days are gone, and I'm, I'm not so self-assured. Now I find I've changed my mind and opened up the doors. I've opened up the doors. Help me if you can. I'm feeling down. And I do appreciate you being around. Help me get my feet back on the ground. Won't you please, please help me? You know the song? Got, the hand, got your hand up? Don't say the answer. Don't say the answer. Do you know the song? You typing it in chat? I hope you're typing that you know the song or you've raised your hands, you've given a thumbs up. On the count of three, what is the name of the song? One, two, three. Well, we, the front row knew it. I think the front row knew the song was Help. Of course, the song was Help by... The Beatles, that's right. The song was by uh, The Beatles. It's the song Help. It's the title track from the album Help. <laughs> and John Lennon wrote that song as a way to express stress. See, the Beatles had been exploding. They'd been growing all around the world. And a way to express what he was feeling after all this success was to write the song Help. The song went on to both a number one single in both the UK and the United States in 1965. And writer and music critic Ian McDonald describes the song as the first crack in the protective shell 
that Lennon had built around his emotions during the Beatles' rise to fame. Help is one of the songs that was an important milestone in the writing style, in the songwriting style, of John Lennon. Now, the one thing that's interesting about the song Help, there's a thing that John Lennon wishes he had done differently. There's one thing that John Lennon would have liked to have done differently. And nobody else agrees with him. Nobody else agrees that this is the way that he would change the song. But in a way, it makes sense. You know what it is? The tempo. It's an upbeat song, right? When I was younger, so much younger than today. Right? I mean, that's like he's, he's saying, help. I need somebody help. Right? And it's, it's that kind of catchy beat, and we're all tapping along. But if you actually sit down and listen to the songs and sort of the, the cry for help that it is, it seems weird to be like, help, hey, I need some help. How are you? <laughs> help, can you help me, please? I mean, that just doesn't make sense. The only thing he regrets about the song is that he wrote it in an upbeat tempo. And it's interesting when I think about how that song actually relates to sort of my experience in church. It's interesting that most Christians, and I know that's kind of a stereotypical way of saying almost everyone I meet, most Christians experience that same dichotomy, that we are in a place where we need help but we also know that we're to be filled with life and life to the full and joy. Jesus himself said that, he, um, that in this world we will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So in the one place, we need help. But in the other place, we're supposed to be upbeat. And you see that a lot in church. You see that a lot in, in church world, in Christians where they have a difficult time expressing that they need help. But everyone, including lifelong believers, on occasion develop cracks in the shell of their lives, even the shell of their faith. You see, sometimes there's things that come along we wonder where we can get help from. Where do we turn? And we live in one of the greatest eras of humanity where there are options on where we can turn to get all sorts of kinds of help. But even those are limited. All of us either know or maybe have been given a diagnosis that has no medical answer. And it's something that we're just told to live with. We go to the doctor. But what if the doctor says, there's nothing more I can do? Financially, when we're in trouble, we can go to the bank. We maybe go to friends, say, help. We need some help financially. We're, we need this. Sometimes banks, friends, and job opportunities say, there's nothing we can do for you. And people are faced with problems that can't be solved. In, 
in a world where it seems like we have all sorts of options on solving them, where can we turn? Where can you turn? How can anyone be upbeat in those moments? Last week, we talked about the unlimited power of Jesus because he is God, very God. With just the power of his word, he controls the natural world and he has authority over the supernatural world. And last week, we gave a little bit of a teaser saying you don't want to miss this week because God does something amazing with his power. Jesus does something amazing with his power that you and I, well, humanity as a whole, does not necessarily do. And if you're in a place where there's cracks in the shell of your life, cracks in the shell of your faith, and I think you'll be encouraged by this second important thing that you and I need to understand about the unlimited raw power of Jesus. Let me show you. Check out Mark chapter 5, verse 21. The story continues. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered about him while he was by the lake. So Jesus gets this short break. He's exhausted. Heals a, a man who's been demonically possessed, calms the storm, but then is right back into the crowd of ministry. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. I think anyone, one of us who has children or knows family and friends who have young children, to hear that kind of a question from someone, how can you help my child? They're dying. We get that emotion. And this is important for us to understand. This is big faith from someone that you'd expect to have big faith. However, it's big not because of the request. It's big because of his personal situation that he puts on the line in order to make the request. You see, he's risking his reputation by going to Jesus. Jairus is a synagogue ruler. And as a synagogue ruler, he's supposed to be an authority in matters of faith, right? He's supposed to know. He's supposed to have all of the answers. And that's what we want. We want people who are leaders because they are authorities in the things that they are leading at. They're calm in the face of adversity. They, they know what to do when a crisis arrives. They expect their leaders to have answers, not need help. And here Jairus comes and asks for help. As a matter of fact, previous generations of Christians, especially in the era when I was young and looking up to older Christian leaders, 
Do you know how many older Christian leaders asked for help? None. Do you know why? Because asking for help was a sign that you didn't have enough faith. That you didn't have enough trust. And so your problems, oh, they're just crush them down, push them down, sit in those things, but don't ever talk about what's troubling you because that looks bad. So no matter what people were going through in their life, whether it was illness, financial loss, they weren't allowed to say, I'm really struggling and I need help. They would try to be upbeat, as the song goes, right? And I experienced this tension. As a leader in a church, I understand what this synagogue leader is going through because when people come to me and I tell them I don't know, which I do a lot, to be honest. When people come and tell me and I say I don't know, there's a look on their face like, but you're in charge. You're in authority. How come you don't have answers? So I get that. And even today, you understand this. You don't need to be a church leader, a leader in a church to understand this. Because if you have a problem and you go and seek help, there are some Christians who look down on you for seeking help. You talk to anyone who has gone for counseling, especially for their mental health. They're afraid to tell their Christian friends. They're afraid to tell their story of, this is what I struggle with. This is my, my mental illness. This is what I've been diagnosed with because they're afraid that the church is going to look at them, that Christians are going to look at them and say, how come your faith isn't stronger? How come you just can't, you know, buck up and, you know, get on it and pull up your boots and, and you know, go to work? So this is incredible faith for this man to go get help. And to ask Jesus to do it. And Jesus doesn't chastise him for his lack of faith. Well, you know that as a synagogue ruler, you can quote these scriptures and you should just trust this. And why do you need me to come? Jesus just goes. He just starts going. He was asked and he starts going. So this is a big faith risk. On a man's reputation, but that's because of the big need. I applaud him for that. He's showing big faith for a big need. I would love to have faith like that. Come to Jesus with, here's my big need. But sometimes we don't. Because we think the problem is that we just haven't done something. And that is entirely false, as we see in the next part of the story. We read in the second half of verse 24 that a large crowd followed and pressed around. It makes sense, right? Here's a young girl dying. Jesus is going to go heal. Would you like to see that? Yes. Where do I get tickets? That would be fantastic. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. A 12-year illness. She had suffered 
a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people standing around you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? Come on. But Jesus kept looking around for the person, looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. I don't think I've had an illness that has lasted 10, 12 years. But someone struggling with a lifelong illness that has no cure, that can wear on you mentally, emotionally, financially. It put this woman into severe debt, and she tried everything. And people who have a disease for this long either become fatalistic, well, nothing can be done, I'll just live in it forever, and stop looking, or they can become incredibly bitter. However, this woman's faith is incredible, but not for the reason that we would assume the Sunday school reason that I had learned growing up, that she would have incredible faith. Because, and scholars are kind of torn on this, but I'll explain to you what I think is happening here. This woman's faith is incredible because I think it was very deeply flawed theologically. I don't think she understood who Jesus was at all. I don't think she understood the Old Testament. I think she had a magic view of religion. That if I just do this thing, or touch this thing, or make this symbol, or put this picture up in my wall, or put these few statues in my front window, then something's going to protect me, something's going to bless me, something's going to provide for me. And I don't care what it is, I just need help. This is either a very deep understanding of God, or it is something based in a magical superstition. And her fear, when Jesus starts looking for who touched him, indicates to me that it's the latter. That she had deeply flawed intellectual understanding of theology. And this is interesting. Because even greater than the synagogue ruler's fear, the the possibility, the risk of being rejected, she had more to be afraid of. Why? Because how dare you touch a holy man? without his permission. She could have been rebuked publicly and embarrassed, or worse, she could have been imprisoned 
or cursed by the holy man. She risked it all to touch the hem, the clothing that Jesus was wearing, believing that power would come to her and that she would be healed. And it does. And Jesus does not take the time to turn around and say, listen, you know, you were wrong to do that. That's not how this is done. What does he say? He starts deepening her faith by starting with the relationship that God wants to have with her. He calls her what? Daughter. Daughter. Someone who was seeking magical ends to a, a malady that she could not cure on her own, that she spent all of her money, all of her resources, and went to doctor and doctor, and all it kept getting was worse and worse and worse. She finally came to the one who said he was God. And God not only healed her without knowing that it was happening, if you can wrap your mind around that, but lets her know that the relationship is still there. Daughter, your faith has freed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. What faith? What faith? What kind of faith is this? It's not much. It's deeply flawed. And yet God's power is still available to her. He deepens it takes her beyond the touch clothing that equals healing exchange. Calls her daughter. Tells her why it happened. You believed that God could heal you. The synagogue ruler would need this example. Because we read in verse 35 that while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum." which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished, and he gave strict orders to not let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Death is not the end, is it? Not with Jesus. Jesus comes and with just the power of his word restores life to a deceased young girl. 
And the amazing thing that we learn from these two stories and the way that they're intertwined is an application of why there is always hope in Jesus. He has unlimited power. He is God, very God. He has the ability to change reality. He has the ability to create reality. There is no situation beyond his intervention. There is no need that is too great. And what is amazing about this application for us is simply this. His power is available to you. His power is available to you. It's available to you. He is making it available to you. What's the requirement? Believe. How much do I have to believe? Not much. Believe that God can do something. And that is amazing because it means that God is not only making his power available, but he's making himself approachable. You know what people normally do with power? They use it for themselves, right? They use power to change their own realities. They use power to make their lives better. They use their resources if they have wealth. They use their influence. They use whatever they have to make their life better. That's not wrong. But God does something with his unlimited power and makes our lives better instead. Humanity's inclination is to use power for themselves to improve their lot in life. God does the opposite. He uses his power to improve our lot in in life. You remember last week we talked about how with God, might makes right. His might makes us all right. No matter our need. No matter our circumstance, no matter how hopeless we think things are. And God is ready, willing, and able to provide that for us. Anyone can ask. You know, perhaps you've uh, been buying a coffee from somewhere recently where they have a reward system. You ever heard of those kind of things? You buy 10 coffees and you get uh, one coffee free, right? Some restaurants will do this as well. Restaurants will have reward points. Sign up for our points and, you know, come and eat six meals with us with your family, totaling over, you know, 80 to 100 and some dollars after tax. And then you finally get enough points to redeem something, and what can you get? Breadsticks. We, we spend how much money so that, you know, 10, 20 trips later we can get Breadsticks. There's, there's a really national restaurant that's all around the world. I'm not going to name them because I'm not trying to shame them. This is just the way the industry works. What they do is they, you go and you buy the sandwich or the soup or the, the breads or something like that. And, and then you, you give them your card and they collect the points. And then, you know, two or three trips later, they ask you, hey, would you like a cookie? We've spent three, four, five hundred dollars at your place, and the only thing you can offer us is a cookie? Come on! 
Everyone has this kind of reward system that isn't really kind of a reward. It's not like that with God. We do not have to have a membership in His club. We do not even have to be a Christian with strong faith. God loves to show His kindness to His creation. That's who He is. It's what He does. He is very approachable by anyone, no matter what they have done, no matter whether they deserve their lot in life or not. Anyone can come and ask Him for help. There's nothing magic about it. It's available simply because He makes it available. And not only is it available, it's available because he's approachable. Jesus is approachable. You notice that whenever you have a problem with something, you never seem to be able to get to the person who can solve it, right? When we have a problem with an Amazon shipment, if I call the number or jump on the online chat, I don't get Jeff Bezos on the line saying, Brian, I'm the president, I run this company, I want to personally help you solve this problem. I get a person who the only thing they can do is elevate my call to someone else who can't do my, solve my problem, and so on, and so on, and so on, and so on. Until finally, someone gets on the call, and it's an hour gone, and we've said, this is the issue, this is the problem, and someone jumps on and says, okay, well, this is what we'll do. I'm not sure it's quite fully satisfactory, but this is the last thing we can provide, because they just want to get rid of me. And yet... Jesus gives us his phone number and never ghosts us. He is always on call. No matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter whether we're close to Jesus or whether we've not followed Jesus at all in our lives, he's giving us his number and is making himself available. What's it like? How does it feel? To have the King of Kings and Lord of Lords on speed dial. Feels pretty good, doesn't it? And that is how the power of God affects us. Jesus, he makes his power available to us. Jesus makes himself available to us. He's approachable. We can call anytime. And that means that. Right now, in this moment, the power of Jesus, the Son of God, is available to you. In this moment. God wants to show you his power. He loves to do it. He doesn't withhold it. Sometimes we don't get the answer in the time we would like. But when Jesus said, I will give you life and life to the full, he meant it. The amazing thing about the power of God is not only that it's unlimited, it's not only that it has massive authority over all things, but that he simply makes it available to us regardless of our level of faith. And that's what it means 
to allow God to be God to you, to come to him and say, here is my need. Would it be possible that you could do something? And imagine if he were to say yes. The power of God not only is the perfect example of might makes right, but it's the perfect experience of his might making us all right. And that's how, in the middle of asking for help, we can be upbeat because we can always know that Jesus has made his power available and has made himself available. And he's willing to answer your request. Don't lose faith. That God doesn't care, that God is taking too long. When God decides to work and decides to answer, it will be better than we could possibly ask or even imagine. So take heart. Have hope. Jesus is on call for you. Don't lose faith that God can and will and will in the future work miracles in your life. God's power is available because God makes himself available to us. His might makes us all right. Some questions for you as we close. They may come up in your growth group, and one of them is a little hard-hitting, but I'm going to leave it with you anyways. Here they are. First, it's not really a story. It's kind of just a statement uh, or a question. Share a story of how God answered your prayers for you or for someone else. So you're praying for yourself, you're praying for someone else. How did God answer that prayer? My hunch is you have one of those stories if you think about it. Secondly, how would you encourage someone who is struggling to believe that God is available and approachable? How would you encourage someone to believe to encourage someone who is struggling to believe that God is available and approachable? Finally, here's something personal. If you'd like to share this with your group or share this with others, go for it. But I want to give this one for you to ponder. What is something that you deeply desire God to do in your life? God loves to show his power. Not because it shows him to be better. But because he loves to make us better. He loves to sanctify. He loves to heal. He loves to provide. Let's bring our deepest needs to the God who is approachable and available. Let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, we invite you to be in this place, in this moment, and to be speaking to every person who is here and every person who is watching online. Lord, I confess that there are times in my life when I've stopped praying for certain things that I've deeply wanted to happen simply because they've just not happened yet and I thought there was no hope. And yet when I look back at my life, there are times when you have provided miracles that there is no other answer for what happened except only God. 
And I can see that because it's something that I asked for. Would you forgive me, Lord, for doubting that you are interested in me? And would you forgive us for giving up praying because you haven't acted yet? But we trust, Lord, that you are a good God. It's your goodness that drew us to you in the first place. And you offer your goodness, your good power to make our lives better. Simply because you can. You make yourself available. You allow yourself to be called on personally, which is amazing to us. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling with something that has been on their heart for a long time, maybe their whole time on this earth. I ask, Lord, that in your wisdom, you would make things right in that situation, that you would make them all right because of your might. We thank you. Would you strengthen our faith? Would you give us hope? Because you are a God who loves to show his power for our benefit, for our perfection, and for our blessing. And we thank you and praise you that as we lift up requests to you, we can trust that we have a God who loves to make us all right. Lord, give us faith to ask. Give us hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.